0: Charles Spurgeon is no stranger to us. Here's a picture of Spurgeon. He lived in the 19th century and was a phenomenal preacher. You've heard him quoted many times all over the world. Even today he is known as the Prince of Preachers. Prince of Preachers. If you were to take all of Spurgeon's sermons and compile them into book form, it would be 63 volumes. It would be the greatest literature piece written by any single author. This is a picture of Spurgeon's church, Metropolitan Tabernacle, and 6,000 people came here. Here's a picture of his church. Came here to listen to him preach multiple times a week. We can barely get you to come once a week, but here, (laughs) it's the deal. 6,000-plus people would come multiple times a week. And he died at the age of 57. All of London mourned. Over 60,000 people attended his funeral over three days, and... As they led the funeral procession out, over 100,000 people lined up the streets of London to thank God for Spurgeon and to mourn his loss. So he was certainly, by no doubt, an incredible person of faith impact in the world. But what you may or may not realize is that Spurgeon, yes, a man of faith, but he was also a man of deep depression, discouragement, and disappointment. He faced multiple reasons throughout his entire adult life that led him into the, into, the, into the spiraling down of discouragement and disappointment. He points back to a certain day, October of 1956, where uh, the crowd had grown beyond the, the capacity at his church and over 10,000 people came to hear him preach. So they rented out this new venue that could hold about 12,000 people and so he began to have his opening prayer, and there's 12,000 people surrounded in this big auditorium. And during his prayer, someone yells out, fire! Please don't do that on Sunday unless there's a real fire going on. But someone yelled out, fire! And everybody rushed to the doors, trying to find the exits, and everyone panicked. They thought there was really a fire. In the process, seven people were trampled to death, and dozens were hospitalized. Spurgeon, who was 22 at the time, he felt on the platform became inconsolable. He literally had to be carried out by his friends. He refers to that moment as the moment he came so close to the burning furnace of insanity. And he was never the same again. Add to that, his wife, around the age of 33, became incredibly disabled and couldn't even go here and preach. And Spurgeon himself dealt with Bright's disease and rheumatism and several other illnesses that produce incredible pain and grief and sorrow a person of great faith but also a person of depression today it's estimated that over 40 million people deal with some sort of anxiety disorder 16 million americans face major depression it's a real thing and do you know what the number one prescribed medication for pastors is antidepressants So what Spurgeon went through, what many Americans go through, what many of you might go through is not all that uncommon. Maybe you say, well, I'm not really depressed, but I imagine you have seasons of discouragement, feeling down, feeling the blues. And if discouragement sits too long, it can often turn into depression and we face it, we can quickly spiral down into this. Now, for you, even if you have depression, there's a wide range of intensity. Maybe it's a series of bad days or a few weeks. Maybe it's a dark cloud that seems to be hovering over you wherever you go, and you feel a lack of joy. Maybe for you, it's a black hole that you just feel stuck in. You can't seem to get yourself out. You want to crawl out of there, but you can't, and you've lost a sense of meaning and joy at all. And if you are a person of faith, there's often a complicated relationship between faith and depression. Between our faith and discouragement, what do we do? Because we're taught to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Every first verse was that verse. But what if you don't feel joy? The joy of the Lord is to be my strength, but what if I don't feel strong? Is there something wrong with me? Do I like faith? Am I not close to God enough? What is going on with me? So what do we do? Well, no one's going to understand this. I should have more faith than this. Maybe I'll just keep praying and hope that it goes away. So we conceal it, we hide it, we live behind a mask or a filter. We battle it in secret in the dark. C.S. Lewis said it like this in the book Problem of Pain. Mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but it is more common and also harder to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden. Because it's easier to say my tooth is aching than to say my heart is broken. Easier to say my tooth is aching than to say my heart is broken. Here's what I want you to know. If you're living through a season of discouragement or a prolonged season of discouragement or even in depression, if you're feeling that, if you're living through that, you're actually in the company of incredible historical heroes of our time. Men like Abraham Lincoln and Winston Churchill and Charles Dickens and Beethoven, Princess Diana, they all dealt with depression not only that you're actually the company of incredible heroes of faith did you know that Moses Jeremiah Elijah Job and many others in the scriptures were depressed they felt utterly abandoned to darkness even saying God just take my life I don't want to live anymore and it's fascinating to me that when God put together the scriptures through men and women of old he could have scrubbed that part out like He could have gotten away with it and just put stories that were heroic and eliminated the humanity that we go through, the pain, the grief, the sadness. But well, he kept it in the book, and it's still holy. Why? Because I think he wanted us to know that our faith is not void of fears. Our belief is not void of doubt. And even our certainty and confidence in God is not void of our feelings of uncertainty despair loneliness, sorrow, and grief. we have been in the Psalms for the last several weeks looking at comfort and chaos and dealing with different emotions and realities internally and externally that cause chaos. And today I wanna deal with the chaos you might feel of discouragement and depression. The Psalms have often been called the liturgy of despair because these Psalm writers felt pain, sorrow, loneliness, abandonment just like you and I feel. And last week, we looked at Psalm 62, where most scholars believe that David wrote Psalm 62 as his own son rise up against him and leading a national revolt. A civil war breaks out, so David runs for his life for about four years, hiding in caves, trying to survive. And during that four-year stint, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 was most likely written during that season of his life. So today, we're going to be in these two Psalms. Now, Psalm 42 has this title, For the choir director, a mascal of the sons of Korah. A choir director, the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were the group of priests that were charge of leading worship. They were the Caleb Willises and his brothers of the day. All right? uh, they would lead worship in their day. They were the priests who led the congregation in singing. So David most likely wrote this psalm as he's hiding for his life, fleeing from his own son, this prayer, this intense longing for God in the midst of his discouragement. And then it became a mascal. Well, What's a mascal? It's not a word we hear about. In the Hebrew, the word mascal simply uh, means to instruct or to make one wise. So David is, in his darkest days, writing this song. He gives it over to the sons of Korah, the worship leaders, and they begin to write music to it. And this becomes a song of the assembly. A song not just to sing, but to instruct, to make one's heart wide, to give strength and guidance in the worst of moments. So imagine people going through spiritual darkness, even in their exile, when they felt God was distant, when they felt like their life was turning in on them, and they couldn't go on. They would pick up the words of David in Psalm 42 and 43 and begin to sing. And as they sung, God began to instruct, bring wisdom, bring hope, and encouragement. A few things that are pretty fascinating about Psalm 42 and 43. If you read them, you got to read them together. It's really meant to be one psalm because the same themes are repeated. The same words even. The same struggles are repeated. really one psalm. And what you'll realize in Psalm 42 and 43 is David is vacillating between hope and despair. He's lamenting and he's hoping. He's frustrated and he's expectant. He's angry, feeling rejected and alone. And he's still at the same time feeling confident in God. It's like we get an insider's view into David's mood swings. As he's writing the psalm, he's going back and forth because really, if you discovered, it's just not this linear way up, it's a spiraling down and then finding hope in some moments and then dealing with hard days again. Psalm 42 nor Psalm 43 ends with this victorious shout. It doesn't have a pretty bowl at the end where we can see the problems of David emotionally solved but it's a journey of pain. I think David wrote it that way and God inspired him to write it that way because just because you pray a prayer or even write a psalm doesn't make your emotional troubles disappear. doesn't make it all go away. It's a journey of disappointment, discouragement, and depression. There are two things that we find from this psalm. So we find clarity on how one spirals down into discouragement, and we find guidance on how a person spirals up with hope. David talks about, here's what I went through that made me spiral into discouragement and depression, but here's what happened that gave me hope, what allowed hope to be resurrected. And I use that word spiraling on purpose because... It's not overnight, here's a picture of what I mean by spiraling. You can spiral down, you can spiral up. Because the journey into discouragement and depression isn't an overnight thing. It doesn't just happen by chance. No, we feel certain events and emotions, and over time, it compounds on each other, and there's a concussive series of things that happen that brings us down. The journey into discouragement is a spiraling down over a period of time. And the journey coming out of depression and discouragement isn't an overnight fix either. It doesn't happen quickly. In fact, it could take weeks, months, years. It could take the help of incredible Christian counselors and therapists and even the help of medication to help people come out of the state of mind that they are in. It is a spiraling down and a spiraling up. So here's how David says... What has led to his spiraling down into discouragement. A few things that I think are applicable to all of us. First of all, there is change that results in loss. Change that results in loss for David and for you and I. When we go through seasons of change in the last few years, 2020, 2021, you probably had a lot of change. And we don't mind change, we mind loss. So if our change is an upgrade, we're good with it. But if it's a downgrade, we're discouraged. And notice the change that happened in David's life. Verse 6, David says of Psalm 42, I am deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon, from from Mount Mizar. David was in Jerusalem, and he was the king, so imagine this, kids. He was the king, and everything is going great. There's incredible prosperity, safety. The Ark of the Covenant is back in Jerusalem. Everything is going great, and then all of a sudden... A civil war breaks out, and he wonders, who is the one leading it? It's his own son. And as a civil war breaks out, David is having to flee everything he knows. So he goes from Jerusalem, now he finds himself in Jordan. If you were to go from Jerusalem to Jordan today, with all of our modern vehicles and roads, it would be a 310-mile journey. So imagine David leaving his kingdom, his people, his family, and traveling on foot or on the back of an animal. Hundreds of miles through wilderness and caves, wondering if he's gonna make it another day. He has gone through tragic change that he couldn't control, and he's longing. For home, He's longing here for the presence of God because it was in Jerusalem, the ark of God was there, the tabernacle was there in their life, David's hope revolved around the tabernacle, the worship of God, but now for four years he is removed from worshiping God, he is removed from a corporate setting of leading his people in worship, and he's longing missing home. Notice how he records the spiritual thirst happening in him. Verse 1 of Psalm 42. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, O God. I search for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? David is running for his life. But There's something beautiful here as he's all alone, away from everything he's known, hiding in a cave. What is he longing for? He's not longing for victory from his enemies or for God to do away with those who oppose him. No, in the midst of the change that's happening, in the midst of the despair, his greatest longing is for God. He's craving for the presence of God, for the nearness of God. I ask myself often, when I get so busy, when we get so busy running or going through whatever change, do we miss God? Do we long for his presence? Do we crave for him in a way, God, no matter what else is going good, if I don't have you, God, I'm at a loss. David is longing, thirsting for God. Verse 4, David says, I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. He's remembering the days of old and he's missing the past. Maybe there's a season of life you can think about and say, if I could just go back to that moment. Like I want to freeze my time with the kids when they're five and two because I've heard teenage years are hard. I'm already missing the days that I'm living through now thinking about the future. (laughs) Maybe you think about the fact that you were forced out of a job or a season changed, a relationship changed, your environment, your community changed, and you thought it was bad then so you got out of it. So now you're thinking, man, I really missed that because that was good. You're missing, you're discouraged over a change that has led to loss. The second step in David's spiraling down are wounding words from others. Wounding words from others. Not only has David been given the greatest wound and betrayal from his family and his closest associates, there are people constantly mocking him. Notice verse 9 and 10 of 42. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? My adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones. While all day long they say to me, where is your God? David is saying when my friends, when my adversaries, when they see me, they see how bad I have it and they're saying, man, your God has left you. You must have done something so crazy that God has abandoned you to yourself. They're mocking him. They're not physically hurting him in this sentence, but he's saying, their words are crushing my bones. Grief over the wounding words. Kids in the room, I remember when I was in eighth grade, and I wanted to try out for the basketball team. And so I was practicing months in my driveway in Tennessee, getting ready for tryout day. Now, my parents weren't a huge support of this. Because, you know, Indian parents really don't want you to do anything but study. Uh, My dad, you know, if I came home with a 98, his question is, where's the other two points? Like, what happened? Um, But I finally got him to be convinced that I can try out for this basketball team in eighth grade. I was so excited on the day of tryouts. And I went to the gym, and I was about to step on the court and play this game for a tryout. And this kid that I'd never even met before looks at me and says, you're too overweight. If you ever make this team, it's only because you got good grades. This kid I never even knew just took the life out of me, the wind that I've been preparing for for many months, just words pierced. Well, I didn't make the team, so I guess he was right. But here's what happened. I began to think about those words. And you would think it was just an eighth-grade basketball try. You move on, right? You get busy. But, man, those words stuck. And for months, I didn't even want to play basketball anymore, not even in my own driveway. Man, I'm not good enough for this. You know what happened? I began to apply those words to other aspects of my life. I thought I was good, but maybe I'm not good enough. His few words led me to spiral down, because we know how wounding words can be. So David is spiraling into depression, to discouragement because of change that led to loss, wounds from words. not only that there are a series of disappointments without relief. One grief without relief. One disappointment after another without relief. Look at verse 7 of Psalm 42. Deep calls to deep with the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your billows have swept over me. David is creating this imagery. God, my life seems like the series of waves pounding one after another. I get it. You're sovereign. You're in control. Even the waves are coming from you. God, I get it but I just need a break. Give me just a moment of respite. I can't deal with this anymore. I need a break. One wave after another, crushing against my soul. Have you gone through one season after another? You thought you'd be heading into some moments of relief, but you were just heading into another storm, another letdown, another word, another crisis. One crisis after another. Change led to let the loss, wounding words, and disappointment without relief. All of this has led David to this conclusion. He is overwhelmed by uncontrollable emotions. He's overwhelmed, totally overtaken with uncontrollable emotions. He can't turn the tap on and off anymore. His emotions are running through him. They're so real and so raw. Notice he how writes it verse three of chapter 42. My tears have been my food day and night. Well, all day long people say to me, where is your God? My tears have been my breakfast, lunch, and dinner. This isn't a weight loss program by choice. Here David is saying, I've lost my appetite, my desire for the things that I used to like. I feel so disconnected, for disengaged from normal daily activities. That happens, you lose your appetite, and David says, all I got for all day long is... Tears, I'm controlled by weeping, consumed by crying. So here, a man after God's own heart is deeply depressed. and That happens to us. A man after God's own heart, a woman after God's own heart, a teenager, a young adult after God's own heart can still face depression and discouragement. How did David get out of this? How how did he come up out of this and not quit? Why do we still talk about him today? How did he write these real authentic words, but yet find hope in the midst of the pain, in the midst of his darkest hour? How did God rescue him? In our discouragement, Satan will often convince us that we are all alone, that God has abandoned you, no one cares about you. In fact, it's all on you now. If you're going to change, it's all on you. you got to pull yourself by your own bootstraps and, and muster up enough courage and strength and determination. It's all on you to get yourself out. I came across this image about coping with depression, and here's what people will say. Uh, how you can cope or get out of depression, develop a strong network, improve your sleep, you know, keep up with your chores, uh, create a wellness toolbox. Those things are great and they're helpful. And that may be a part of the process, but maybe you've tried that. you try tried a list of things to do and things to write down, and you still feel like this guy on the couch. I've tried it all. I know what to do, but there's just not enough in me to get up. I can't start on my own. And while those things are helpful, that's not the starting place in our discouragement, in our depression. That's not where hope is resurrected. It doesn't land on you. So maybe you're at the bottom of that well. You've spiraled down and you're wondering, where do I go from here? There's nothing in me. There's nothing I can produce in me to get me out. Here's good news. It's not on you. In fact, here's the first step of spiraling up with hope. God meets you at the bottom. God meets you at the bottom. Like He's not waiting for you to get yourself up. He's not throwing down a rope and saying, good luck, I'm cheering for you. He's not giving you a list of things to do. He's not making a list of recommendations. He doesn't send help. He himself is help. And he comes into the bottom of our pit. And he says, I'm here with you. I'm finding you in your lowliest state. I'm finding you in your darkest moment. And I'm here with you. Notice how God met David at the bottom. David says in verse 8 of Psalm 42, The Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. David, on the one hand, is feeling forgotten, feeling depressed. But on the other hand, is saying, God, you're with me in the day and you're with me at night. Your faithful love is with me when things are good and I sense it, I feel it, I hear it. But even at night, in the dark, in my lowliest, what's happening? God is singing over me. He doesn't wait for day to come before he meets me. You no, know, in my darkness, in my thickest of my issues and my discouragement, he's there with me there. Whether day or night, good or bad, highs or lows, winds or failures, faithful love by day and stinging over me by night. I think David is hearkening back to the days of the Exodus when the Israelites were being led out from Egypt to the promised land. And what did God do? He showed up and led them as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. David is saying, God, you're not waiting on me to get myself up. You come to me and you are faithful in the day and you are singing over me in the night. David says in verse 8 that you will give me a prayer in my despair. And many scholars believe that Psalm 42 and 43 is the very prayer that he prayed, inspired by hope when God met him at the bottom. So he must have woken up at the middle of the night so discouraged, so overwhelmed and heard the singing of God over his soul. And he began to write honestly, authentically, about the despair he was dealing with. He says in verse 3 of Psalm 43, God, send me your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to your dwelling place. David is admitting, I can't get there on my own. Send me help. Send me something external to me, something outside of me that will bring me to your presence. Send me your truth. Send me your light that will bring me to you. And here's what happened. David asked for help. You know what God did? He sent a Savior. He asked for help. He sent a Savior. David is praying, God, just send me light in my darkness. And we know the light of the world. His name is Jesus Jesus would say in John 7, I am the light of the world. David prayed, God, send me your truth. And we know the name of truth. His name is? Jesus. Because Jesus would say in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. David would pray in Psalm 42, verse 1, God, I thirst for you. I long for you as the deer pants and longs for water. And Jesus would get up in John 7 and he would say, if you are thirsty, come to me and drink of me. And out of you will flow rivers of life, streams of living water. So here's what I want you to know. If you're in the dark, Jesus is light. If you're in confusion, he is truth. And if you're thirsty, if you're longing for hope, Jesus is saying, I'm here with you at the bottom. It's not on you to get yourself up because the whole story of the gospel is we can never get ourselves up. We can never climb the ladder up. So here's what God did. He went through a divine spiraling down into our mess. It's called the incarnation left the glories of heaven and picked up the impoverishment of humanity, left his majesty around the throne and took on skin and moved into our flesh. He felt your pain, even your temptation, he felt it all. Your discouragement, your depression, your sadness, he felt it all so that at the bottom you would know that he's there with you. So I want you to know if you're at the bottom, you're not alone. In fact, that's where God meets us at the bottom. I remember a season in my early college life being so depressed because I had blown it. Done things and said things that I thought I would never do and never say. So I had come to the conclusion, God's done with me. Like he could never use me. He could never have a plan for me. I have let him down so much. There's just no hope beyond this, man. I was spiraling down quick into depression and discouragement. And here's how God met me at the bottom. He sent a friend who reminded me of John 21. Where Jesus comes to Simon Peter, who had just denied him three times. you think that would be an awkward meeting. After the risen Savior comes and you just realize, I denied him three times. But Jesus came to Peter, who did the unthinkable. And Jesus asked for no explanation. What did Jesus do? He invited him to breakfast. Peter has done the unthinkable, and Jesus invites him to breakfast on the beach. Jesus was a brunch guy. like He loved breakfast. He cooked up some fish. So Peter, come have a meal with me. And there Jesus reinstated Peter and kept him moving him forward. He didn't make him start at square one. He says, go feed my lamb. Go take care of my sheep. Here's what God told me. And how he met me, he said, you can't let me down because I was never, but you can't let me down because you were never holding me up in the first place. You couldn't let me down because you were never holding me up. And there I realized there is no pit too low, no bottom too deep that God can get to. And I want you to know if you're struggling, if you're dealing with depression, with discouragement, there is no pit that God can get to. He's for you, he's running after you, he is pursuing you because he meets you at the bottom. So don't tell yourself that it's on you because it's on him. He doesn't send you a list or a table of rules, he sent you himself. I've got you, you can count on me. Often in our own spiraling down into depression and discouragement, it's our own voice that leads us further down. We're repeating a narrative, a story of how bad it is, and we're going further and further down. David in Psalm 42 decides to change the script and he decides to do something different. So rather than listening to himself, he begins to speak to himself. And here's what he would tell us today. Speak to yourself more than you listen to yourself. Speak, preach to yourself more than you listen to yourself. David writes in verse 5, Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise Him, my Savior and my God. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in the book Spiritual Depression, he wrote it like this. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of speaking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you in the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is it that's talking? Yourself. You are speaking to yourself. So David's treatment and his discouragement and his depression was instead of allowing his soul to speak to him, he flipped it. And he began to speak to himself. He began to command his soul, why are you discouraged? Find your hope in God. He began to speak to himself rather than listening to himself. I know we said the people who talk to themselves are crazy. But sometimes we got to do a little talking to ourselves. Before your soul gets wrapped up, would you take a moment, pick up the truth of God's word, and begin to speak to yourself. I know you're thinking, I could never come up with the words to say. If I feel so powerless, how could I speak to myself? But here's the truth. Here's good news. Once you've met God at the bottom you'll realize God has already spoken over you. You don't have to come up with creative things or new things to say to you. God has already spoken over you. And what he says about you and over you is good because he is good. So eighth grade, I deal with that season of letting those words wound me and then it dawned on me. Why am I letting someone that doesn't even know me impact my life so greatly? Why does his words matter so much when the God of the universe, when the one who knit me together, who knows me better than I know myself, when he's already spoken over me, why am I not listening? He tells me that I'm his child and no one can take me from him. He tells me that I am enough because he is enough. He tells me that you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus The greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. He tells you that if God spared not his son to save you, will he not give you everything else you need? He tells you if he is for you, who can be against you? God has spoken over you, but today, who are you listening to? For some of us, it's simply a matter of listening to the whisper of God and repeating what he says about you. Craig Rochelle, he said it like this Craig from Life Church The devil shouts lies, but God whispers truths. The devil, because he is so far from you, he has to shout lies, but because God is so near to you, he doesn't have to shout to get your attention, he just has to whisper. <laughs> Psalm 34 God is close to the brokenhearted, near to those who are crushed in their spirit. So if you're feeling at the bottom of your spiral, if you're feeling alone and brokenhearted, the Bible says God is closest to you than you've ever been. And just like Elijah, he didn't have to use the wind or the storm to get his attention. as whisper so gentle gripped the heart of Elijah. Because he's close to you, he simply whispers truths and is inviting your soul to be still enough to Listen. So today, will you let the whisper of God be heard and simply repeat his truth to your soul rather than listening to yourself, speak to yourself. There's one thing that David does here that I think is so important. He meets God at the bottom, rather God meets him at the bottom. He speaks to himself. And lastly, he envisions a tomorrow that's better than today. He gets a vision. He's still hiding out in Jordan. He's still alone. He's still far from his kingdom, from his people, but he gets a vision for the future. Notice what he writes in Psalm 43, verse four. Then, when is then? He doesn't know, but he knows there is a then coming. There is a then coming. Then I will come to the altar of God, to God my greatest joy, and I will praise you with the lyre God, my God. There's a then coming for David he doesn't see it he doesn't even feel it he doesn't see signs of it but inside as he meets God at the bottom as he receives grace to speak to his soul he begins to dream again have a vision again I've heard it said that when you lose hope for tomorrow you lose power for the present losing hope for tomorrow is losing power for the present and in despair in hopelessness what you are convincing yourself is that it will never get any better I'll always be addicted. I'll always be stuck. I'll always be wounded, always be hurting. My marriage will always be broken. My kids will always be rebellious. But today I'm asking you to get a vision from God Almighty. Create a picture in your mind. Give me a vision, birth a dream in me. So holy, so powerful, different even than what I'm living through. Envision a tomorrow that's different, that's better. It gives life, gives hope to you. When you discover the grace of God that meets you and you begin to speak the truths of God to your soul, you get a vision of what tomorrow could be. Like I said before in the psalm, it's not a linear process. It's pretty cyclical. David laments. He hopes. He grieves. He hopes. He's frustrated and he's expectant because your journey out of discouragement isn't a straight climb up. You'll have some good days. You'll have some bad days. You'll take a few steps forward. You'll take a few back. you have moments when you're feeling like, I got it. I'm finally up. And then you feel knocked down again. One song may not fix it. One sermon won't fix it. Here's what I know. No matter how long it takes, God is steady and he's near. No matter how many weeks, months, years it might take, God is steady with you. He's faithful in the day. He's singing over you in the night. And is with you all the way. He is so committed to you. You're not holding him up. So you can't let him down. He is committed to you. From beginning to end. I going to ask you to just close your eyes for a second. And I want to read from part of Psalm 139. As David looks back at his journey of depression and discouragement. And here are some powerful truths that you can begin to repeat to yourself Today. It's as if you're reading the memoir, the Journal of David, looking back at how God brought him through. Let me just read this over you. Maybe whisper it to your soul. David says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, settle on the far side of the sea even there your hand will guide me your right hand will hold me fast if I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me even darkness will not be dark to you the night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you let me read that over you again that last part Surely darkness will hide, that's what I say, and the light will become night around me, but here's what God says. Even darkness won't be dark to me, and your night and the presence of God will shine forth as a day. He's holding you fast with his right hand. you open your heart to him and meet him at the bottom. Maybe you're here today and you're not discouraged or depressed, but Maybe you know somebody. Maybe you're around people this week who may be that. You may have a heart moment. Would you seek someone to encourage? Let the truth of God be spoken through your lips. Maybe you're joining us from online, somewhere on the world. God's with you there. There's no place as high as the heavens or as deep as the depths of the underground. Wherever you are, God is there. God is running after you with love, mercy, and kindness. Can I pray over you? Father, we are so grateful that you were committed to us in the day and at night, in encouragement days and on discouragement days. When we are wounded and hurting, you are the balm of healing. You meet us in our lowest estate. And you pick us up. Thank you, God, for not just sending help, but being a savior. Being a savior that redeems, that purchases us, us, that saves us, that forgives our sin, and gives us a new vision for life. And wherever we are today, Father, may we just see you there. We may not have enough faith. We may not have enough strength. But you are faithful, faithful. And you are strong. So pick us up with your steady hand. And help us to spiral up with hope. As we trust you. As we see you. And as we speak to our soul. The truths of God Almighty. We love you. Thank you for your commitment to us. As long as it takes. You are with us. To the end of the age. In Jesus mighty Name we pray. Amen. amen and amen. Come on, let's give Jesus a clap offering of thanksgiving today. <laughs> amen. If you're joining us online, I want to invite you to write us at pastorsadventry.org or let us know that you're here. Maybe you're dealing with some real discouragement and depression. We've got an amazing group of pastoral care team members here. We've got groups for those who are dealing with anxiety, depression. We've got a space just for you to process, to be encouraged, to find life. So email us, or if you're here in the room, will you join us in our prayer room or in our welcome center and find out about a group that could really speak life to you. Maybe you're here and this topic has just sort of struck a few chords in your heart. We've got a group of ministers ready to pray with you. Some of you just need to admit the reality that you're going through. And we've got a team in our prayer room ready to lock arms with you and speak life and truth and pray with you. So we invite you to our prayer room. I hope that prayer room is flooded with people praying to God, meeting God at the bottom. Would you stand with us as we're dismissed? We're grateful for you. Hey, as you leave, uh, our great guest ministry team has prepared some refreshments to celebrate our Frisco campus becoming their own church. So Take a moment to swing by and grab a soda or a cookie and meet our Frisco family as they send out in our lunch. We love you. God bless you. Can't wait to see you back next week. Have a great Sunday.